0: Let's open up our Bibles this morning to John chapter 20. If you're in John 20 verses 1 through 10, which we've already read, uh, for some of you, this is, um, I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands or anything, so don't get nervous, but um, for some of you, this is your first Easter, Resurrection Sunday, because I know I just offended somebody by saying Easter, so (laughs) change that real quick. And uh, and those watching online, um, this may be your first Easter. And I remember very, very well my first Easter. Everything had changed. Jesus was real. He was personal. And as I read the story, um, and we're going to go through it in quite a bit of detail this morning, that um, uh, it was still dark, we're going to read here in 20, uh, when Mary went to the tomb. So I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I had my, living in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Um, I had my favorite spot on Lake Winnebago, just down from the beach a little bit. And I went down there, and I thought, I want to see what it's like um, with my first Easter and I wanted to be in a place to watch the sunrise. And I went down there with that attitude and I thought, well maybe something special will happen now that I'm born again and I know the Lord and so I went there and was watching the sun come up and, and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I hear singing. And I'm looking up and I'm thinking, so this is what it's like when you're born again and you're having your first Easter, you get to hear angels singing, and it's blowing my mind until I realized it wasn't coming from heaven. And I turned around and it was the first Baptist church having a morning sunrise service. (laughs) It didn't disappoint me that much. But uh, for those of you that are experiencing your first Easter, Resurrection Sunday and the importance of the resurrection. Um, I pray that it would be a special uh, blessing for you. This morning I would like to look at the events that happened on the resurrection of Jesus. But first I would like to look at an Old Testament picture of a prophecy foretelling the crucifixion of Jesus and then review what happened those three days when Jesus was in the heart of the earth after his crucifixion. So with that, I would like you to turn with me. Um, I could, as we're gonna read a little bit later, we know that the volume of the book is all about Jesus and we could use many examples. Um, I'm just gonna pick out one and have you turn to the book of Genesis chapter 22. And we have the story of Abraham was told by the Lord to offer Isaac his son. And I'm gonna read through verses one through 14, stopping and commenting on some of them. Uh, verse one, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son whom you love. Now I just want to stop right there and ask you does that make you think of any other scriptures in the Bible? Take now your son, your only begotten son whom you loved. Yes, that's John three sixteen. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as burnt offerings on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now when you go to Jerusalem, and I've been there many times, it has seven mountains that surround the city of Jerusalem. The Temple Mount is actually um, built on Mount Moriah. It is 742 meters above sea level. And um, some of the Messianic Jews that live there actually believe that's the place where Abraham offered Isaac, but I'll get into that more a little bit later. And so having received this charge from the Lord, what I want you to notice next is there wasn't any hesitancy on Abraham's part to do this. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men and Isaac his son And he split the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and he went to the place which God had told him. What I'd like to point out here, there's no hesitancy. He did this and he did that and he did this. He didn't stop and question what's this all about. He was in compliance and he did it, bam, 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 just as the Lord had asked him to. Now, On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Um, In the mind of Abraham, it's a done deal. In other words, Isaac was already dead as far as he was concerned. For how long? Three days. And um, you can begin to connect those dots right there. And... Abraham said to the young man, stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will go together and worship. He said it to the other two men that were with him, and we will come back to you. I believe that he fully intended to do what the father had asked him to do, but I also believe he had some knowledge of the resurrection. And no matter what he had to go through with, I believe this is literal, that he planned on coming back. So Abraham took the wood and a burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son and took the fire in his hand. We have a picture of wood being placed on the back of Isaac. Bring anything to mind? Of course, the cross. The wood being laid on Isaac. So Abraham took the wood and burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. In other words, they went in agreement. But Isaac spoke to his father and said, my father, he says, here I am, my son. And he says, look, um, we have the fire and the wood but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Now this next verse um, is very important. And it says, Abraham said, my son, God will provide. Now I have the new King James Bible and the article four is inserted here and I have it crossed out because if you have a King James version of the Bible this morning, you notice that word for is not there. It says, my son, God will provide literally himself, not for himself. He will provide himself, the lamb for a burnt offering. When Pastor Chuck first came across this verse, he already had me stuck in knowing this verse, the, the New King James. I have to have a certain kind because when I open my Bible, I know exactly where something is supposed to be. Can you guys identify with me with that? Your Bible is your Bible. And um, when Chuck noticed in the King James that um, the Article 4 was not there. He wrote Thomas Nelson, and he said, um, in the translation, you've translated this wrong. The Article 4 should not be there. It changes everything. It's not for himself, but literally himself. So let's read it again. He said, My son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt um, offering, and they went together. Um, Thomas Nelson would not change it. Pastor Chuck went and left his new King James. Sorry, I can't do that. But Pastor Chuck did, and he's back to the old King James and used it until the day the Lord took him home. And then it says, And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now, if I'm Isaac, don't think he's 13 years old like this. No, he's grown. He could have said, what in the world do you think you're doing, you crazy old man? Something like that. He could have overpowered Abraham at his age. No, they went in agreement. And for some reason, there's, there's no uh, argument. And um, he laid him, it doesn't say he forced him and had to tie him down. No, he laid him, On the altar, upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I believe he had every intent in following through with it. But I also believe he had an understanding that if God promised Abraham that all his descendants would be through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God would, if God can't lie, he's got to keep his promise, that if I kill him, He's going to have to raise him back up again because God can't lie. And all the promises are dependent on the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Good place for an amen. So Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called him him from heaven saying, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. And he says, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And so Abraham went, took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And then he says this, which is a prophecy. He says, Then Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. What mount? Another father is actually going to go through with it, with what Abraham is acting out here. And it's all laid out in picture form that someday another father is going to go through with it. And he's actually going to have to separate himself from his son. We talked about this Um, on Good Friday where he was separated and um, let's go back from here to um, Luke chapter 23 talk a little bit about this when Constantine we're talking about 314 Roman Emperor for the first 300 years if you were a Christian and you were caught, you were martyred, period. That's what the emperors did, heavy persecution. Um, Then Constantine emperor became a Christian, and um, he endorsed, he said he was a Christian himself, and his mother was sent to what they call the Holy Land, or Israel, and Constantine wanted to know where all the sacred sites were. And it was her job to find out, talking to the locals, where was Peter's house. And if you go to Capernaum today, um, you can go to a place that I call a B site. An A site is a real deal. But a B site is, well, could be, maybe it is, maybe it's not. Well, it was Constantine who said, this is Simon Peter's house. She didn't know. Um, She listened to the the stories and came up with a conclusion. I can tell you this, that there's a synagogue that has a first century foundation that was about a block away from this place where they, they built a Catholic church over Peter's house with a glass floor so that you could actually look down into it. But the synagogue, is it a spot? Jesus would have been in that synagogue. His headquarters was in Capernaum, and this is where it was. Well, she would go all over Israel saying, well, this happened here and this happened here. What I'm getting to is a place that we call Calvary, and she wanted to know where was Calvary. And when we visit Israel, I don't go in anymore. Most of the people don't. Um, She was told that uh, one of the oldest buildings in the old city in the Christian quarter, there's four quarters that make up the old city, the Armenian, um, um, the Christian, the Jewish, and the Arab, those four quarters. So in the Christian quarter, there's a church they call the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. And it's in this place that you can go into this Well, they built a monument around it and you can stick your head inside and they say, this is Calvary. And the reason they say this is Calvary is because Constantine's mother says so. The problem with that is we're still at 742 meters above sea level. And if I'm going to this place called Moriah that we read about in the Old Testament, Mount Moriah begins around where the Temple Mount is. But that's not the top. If you're going to make a sacrifice, isn't it just, to me, common sense, you go to the very top of the hill. Uh, we've heard the references that they committed abominations on the high places. My point is that it'd go halfway up. I believe Abraham went all the way to the top. Well, what do you find when you get all the way to the top of Mount Moriah? Well, I'm going to show you. Anybody want to know? Somebody said, yes, anywhere? Oh, okay, I'll show you. This is what it looks like. That's called Golgotha. We also refer to it as Calvary. It is 777 meters above sea level. My, isn't that an interesting number? If you look at Luke 23, Verse 33, we read, and one day came to the place called Calvary. There they crucified him, and the criminal, one on the right hand and one on the left. Uh, If we would go to um, another scripture, well, let's do it. It's uh, Resurrection Sunday. We'll take our time a little bit. Let's go to John 19. John 19, verse 17 tells us, And he, bearing his cross, went out to the place called the Place of a Skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, and where they crucified him and two others with him, one on one side and Jesus on the other. I believe the very spot that Abraham offered Isaac, was not at the Temple Mount or the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, but I believe it was in the very same spot that Jesus himself was offered up as a sacrifice. And the scripture clearly tells us where it is. Actually, it would have been at street level. When you go and look at this right here, if you go just a little bit higher, you have the very top of Mount Moriah. But what the Romans would do is they would have their execution at street level. If you know about the different gates in Jerusalem, there's the Zion Gate, the Dung Gate. The most famous one is called the Damascus Gate. And when you come out the Damascus Gate, go up just a block down past Solomon's quarries, and you'll be at street level, and you can see this. Now, when we visit Israel, we actually go to the Garden Tomb where uh, there was a first century sepulchre opened. It was owned by a very wealthy man. We know that because there's a wine press and a container, a cavern as big as this auditorium that you can look down into. And it would have been filled with water and another place for wine. My point is it was extremely wealthy owner. And it says that he was put in a tomb where no man had ever been laid before. And um, we have, uh, well, it's really the highlight of the trip, visiting um, the garden tomb. But where we begin, it's owned by the British today, is they take us to a spot that connects Golgotha within very short walking distance to the garden tomb. So we'll go up there and sit, and we'll be able to look from this angle where this picture was taken is from the very angle that the uh, British tour guide would go through the scriptures and why he believes, and I agree with him, that the garden tomb really is that close too. And that's what the scriptures declare. It says near there, there was a sepulcher that a man never had been laid in. All right, with, with that, we've determined, um, just for the Old Testament picture, Um, this is what Abraham was prophesying from Genesis, and I happen to believe it was the very same place that another father offered up his only begotten son. He went through with it. Abraham was simply acting it out. Now, this is, um, there was a quote when Jesus was on the cross, what we talked about on Good Friday. Um, He had nothing going for him. Um, he wasn't in agreement that uh, Jesus was the Christ along with the other one but something happened as Jesus was saying things like father forgive them and they, don't, they just don't know what they're doing and um, he said Eli Eli sabachthani and um, they thought they, they were crying out for Elijah and they began mocking him and says, Leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah shows up for this one. Through all of this, something happened in the heart of one of the criminals that was there. And he turns to Jesus and he, he says, Lord? Oh, did you catch that? He called him Lord. He, told, he rebuked the other guy. He says, Look, we're getting what we deserve, but not this guy. He's innocent. And so he says, Lord, would you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? And Jesus looked at this guy, and he says, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Well, we know that paradise is not in heaven. And I can't tell you how much it blessed me when we sang the first song that we sang this morning, because one of the lines in the song is he emptied Paradise, and it it never I never heard it before. I've never heard it actually come out emphatically saying that when Jesus we read on Good Friday before he ascended, what did he do? He descended into the lower parts of the earth to set the captives free. And he says, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so the Son of Man will be three nights, three days and three nights where? In the heart of the earth. And we talked about the rich man wanting to get out of hell, two chambers. Well, that was one chamber. The other chamber was Abraham's bosom. And in the book of Hebrews, it says, these all died in faith, but they hadn't received the promise yet. But they were looking for it. They were waiting for it. And so we find when Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise, he was talking about Abraham's bosom. That's where they went. Now, turn with me to Matthew chapter 27, and we're making our way up to this here. Matthew 27, we talked about this. And I'm making my way up because I want you to understand completely what happened between the time Jesus was crucified and when he rose again from the dead. And we read here in verse 51 of Matthew 27, and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were open, And many of the body of the saints... Now, the saints here would have to be the Old Testament saints who had fallen asleep were raised. It's called Abraham's bosom. And it says in coming out of their graves, and this is very important, after his resurrection. So Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. But after Jesus arose from the dead, then these other, now that he had died on the cross, uh, we're told in the New Testament he went to preach to the, the spirits that were in the center of the earth. They went into the holy city and appeared to many. And my mind just races with this, and I got a little sidetracked on it. Imagine a loved one that had died in faith all of a sudden knocking on your door and say, uh, let me tell you where I've been last <laughs> since I died. And yet here you are. But it it could only happen after Jesus himself was the first to rise from the dead. And now when a believer dies, whenever we have a funeral and they are a Christian, um, I usually pray something like this. Lord, we're here with a whole lot of mixed emotions today. The person that we love is no longer with us. But on the other hand, he's with you because your word tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with you. So we're glad that person is there, but we miss them down here. Good place for an amen. And for for a lot of you, this will probably be, and could be your last Resurrection Sunday. Some of you, I don't personally believe we have that much time. I think it's real late right now. And making it to 2023, A Resurrection Sunday? Hmm, don't oh know. Um, but with all the things that are going on in the world, and I'm not going to camp on this, um, I heard a Bible study yesterday by Ed Heinson, who gave a seven-point prophecy update on just how late it really is. And he said, Christian, you better be ready, and you better be right with the Lord because Jesus is coming soon. When you see these things begin to happen, then look up. Because your redemption is drawing nigh, let me just give a word of encouragement. Because I know a lot of people are going through a lot of heavy, emotional, stressful things right now. We have a hope that we sang this morning. Jesus Christ is risen today. Hallelujah! And I promise that's all the singing I'm going to (laughs) do. But it is. We can sing in the midst of all the turmoil and craziness and stuff that's going on, the collapse of our economy, um, the war that's heading for the Middle East, what's going on between Russia and Ukraine, and all of it can be overwhelming. And yet, uh, he did such a wonderful job, and when I got done, I I told my wife, I said, Judy, I'm spot on in agreement with that, with everything that I just said. And um, now is not a time... um, to really get involved uh, with the things of this world but just make sure the most important thing you can do right now is make sure that you're saved, good place for an amen, and make sure that you're in fellowship because when you're out of fellowship and especially if you're by yourself, encouragement, fellowship is such an encouragement to be able to come and sing together and fellowship together And um, um, we don't know how much longer that's going to be. Anyway, paradise is, it it could not be heaven because we know that Jesus didn't go into heaven until um, um, after he ascended from the place called paradise. That's where he took them that day. All right, now, That's what's happened between Good Friday and our text, which we could go to now. Let's go to John chapter 20, where Tim read for us earlier. And now it's three days later. And let's look at the order of events of Resurrection Sunday and beginning at dawn. And I gotta tell you that the more I dug into this study, um... um, I would like to see the connection of all four of the the Gospels combined as each of it gives us different components of what actually happened this morning. So let's begin um, with the morning and then we're going to go to the afternoon and then we're going to go to the evening on the first day of the week. Let's just read verse 1. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Notice, while it was still dark. Everybody got that? So when Mary goes there, it's dark. And saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Let's go, and we're just going to read this another verse from, keep your figure there because we're coming right back to it. Now I'll go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. And we read here, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began here, what does it say? To dawn. Now when dawn's coming, what does that mean? That means the sun's coming up. But in John we read, it was still dark. All right, let's look at Luke's account. Luke chapter Twenty-four. Luke chapter twenty-four, verses one through three. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, is what we're told. Uh, they and certain other women were with them. Came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of Jesus. So here, we're told that it was um, very early in the morning. Um, Let's go to Mark chapter 16. And look at verse 9. And we read here, now when he arose early on the first day of the week, it says he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Well, that's interesting. Here we're told that the first person to see Jesus was Mary Magdalene, whom he had cast out seven demons. So she went and told who had been with him, and they mourned as they went. Um, in Mark chapter 16, verse 2, it says, very early in the morning on the first day of the week they had come to the tomb when what? The sun had risen. So which is it? And my answer is, I don't know. <laughs> but there, that's why I'd like to see we have a combination and all of it is giving extra detail but this is what we do know. We know that we clearly in Mark 16 it says, Mary was the first one to go. But in the other gospel, it talks about the other Marys that were there. And uh, let's go back to um, um, John's gospel, uh, chapter 20, and we'll pick it up in verse 3, where we read. So he appeared, first of all, to Mary, and then it mentions uh, verse 2. was still dark, and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb, and then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. This is how John always refers to himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple and were going to the tomb, so they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. I wanna point out the fact that John could outrun Peter is only mentioned in John's Gospel. <laughs> you won't find it in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Oh, and John's right. oh, by the way, I can run faster than Peter. And stooping down, he looked and saw the linen clothes there, and he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came and followed him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Interesting. That when you go there, uh, we go to the garden tomb. Uh, It has three... Uh, two chambers, one would be a chamber where people could actually come in, they have bars on it now, and then they would have two uh, made out of stone, Um, I would say it's roughly eight feet across, and in the middle it would be opened, and you would have stone beds on one side, and another stone bed on the other side. Well, when Peter goes in, he he finds that everything has been... um, Uh, wrapped up, the handkerchief had been around his head, not laying with a linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. Um, In other words, it was two garments for the burial. Then the other disciple who came into the tomb first went in also and saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. So here we have, we know that Jesus appeared first of all to Mary. And what we have coming up next is I I think this encounter between Mary and the Lord picking it up in verse 11. And remember this is all in the morning. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping and as she wept she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus was laying. Now there's no reference to that when Peter and John went in. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this a little bit. Uh, We'll talk about it more when we get in the afternoon with Cleopas. But for whatever reason, she doesn't recognize Jesus for who he is. Um, The Bible tells us in Isaiah, the beating that he suffered, they actually pulled Jesus. the the whiskers out of his beard and it says he was marred more than any man but she's not taken back with this um, but she doesn't recognize him at the same time is what I'm picking up on she thought he was a gardener and Jesus said to him woman why are you weeping and whom are you seeking she supposing him to be the gardener said to him sir if you had carried him away tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. When Jesus, when we read earlier that she was possessed with seven demons, he set her free. She was in bondage and um, demon-possessed, and when the Lord touched her that seven times, she says, every time he touched me, I felt something evil depart from me. And she followed him, And she loved him with all of her heart. Wherever Jesus went, Mary Magdalene went. And the love here, saying, just tell me where he is. I'll go get him. I'll carry him back. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. Now, every person here has an individual voice that is unique to yourself. You can, pick some, you can pick the phone up, and you can start talking. And um, if it's my buddy Pat down in Florida, I know that voice just like that. And it was the same here. She had been with Jesus for these three years. And when she said, and when the Lord said, Mary, well, bingo, I know that voice. I don't recognize the, the figure, but the voice I know and she turned and said to him, Roboni, which means to say teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. She put a bear hug on him. You got away from me once, but you're not getting away again. And the Lord just said, Not now, Mary because I have not yet ascended to my Father. All right, that's the morning. Let's go to Sunday afternoon, and to do so, I need you to turn to Luke chapter 24. From morning till afternoon, we have here in Luke 24, beginning with chapter 13, two of Jesus' followers, we call this the road to Emmaus. Let's pick it up at verse 13. Now behold, two of them are traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of these things which had happened. And so it says, and so it was, while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew up and went with them. It says, but their eyes were restrained. Well, this might give us some insight to what the Lord was doing with Mary. Um, he was purposely not allowing himself to be recognized as Jesus. Why? Because it tells us here their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, well, what kind of conversation is this that you guys are having with one another? And why, why are you so sad? And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there this day? And Jesus, playing dumb, said, what things? And they said, well, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Notice the past tense here. Who was a prophet? Past tense. Mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and to crucify him. But we were hoping, again, past tense. We were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping he was the Messiah. We wanted to be away from the yoke of, of Rome. We were hoping this would happen. Indeed, besides all these things, today is the third day since all these things happened. Yes, there were certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us uh, when they did not find his body they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said uh, but him they did not see and so basically just by their body language the Lord comes up to them They're talking about all the events. But it's all in the past tense. They have no hope. We're hoping it was him. We're going home. All right. Then Jesus responds. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses... And all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning him. Oh my goodness, if ever there was a Bible study I would want to sit in on, it's this one right here. To have Jesus say, okay, let's begin with Moses here and we could go to so many different places. Again, did not Jesus say the volume of the book was about him? And he said, Beginning at Moses, he expounded. What does that mean? He gave him a Bible study. And he showed that he was supposed to suffer, that he was supposed to go through these things. And why aren't you guys getting it, O slow of heart, uh, to believe all that the prophets had spoken? He's holding them accountable for knowing that this is the way it should have been. Now, let me just give you one example of this. And go to the book of Zechariah. It's right next to um, the last book of Malachi. So it's the second last book in the Old Testament. I'd like to go to chapter 12. And um, I believe this pertains to Cleopas and his friends, and I'll tell you why in a second. Picking it up in verse 10. Zechariah says, and I will pour out in the house of David and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for firstborn. In that day there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning at... uh, Hadad, Raman in the plains of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn, every family by itself, and the family of the house of David by itself, and the wives by themselves, and the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and the wives by themselves. In other words, leave me alone. I want to digest what we're missing here. And the family of the house of Levi by itself, and the Wives by themselves and the family of Shimei by itself and their wives by themselves and all the families that remain, every family by itself and their wives by themselves. Go to chapter 13. Draw your attention to verse six. And someone will say to him, the him here is a reference to Jesus himself. What are these wounds in your hands? And then he will answer, well, these, those which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And then notice what it says next in seven. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd. Well, what was Calvary all about? The shepherd being smitten. And what will happen as a result of that? The sheep will scatter. And then I will turn my hand against the little ones. When Jesus was crucified, it says the sheep were scattered. Well, what is Cleopas and his buddy doing? They're scattered. They're, They're without hope. We were hoping. What do you mean you don't know about all these things that have been going on in Jerusalem? We're going home. And, it was, and then the Lord says, look, this has been written about. You should have known that um, I was going to be smitten. And the very fact that I'm meeting you in the afternoon now on your way back home and all the hope that you had in, in me being killed is all in the past tense. And you're giving up. And you're going home. But I want you to know that that was prophesied. Where'd you get those wounds in your hands? Oh, in the house of my friends. When they strike the, sh- the shepherd, the sheep, are going to scatter. Why? Because they had lost that hope. And, um, and then it says, let's go back to um, our story in Luke 24. Had to get a little sidetrack here. We got to the part where he was smitten and beginning at Moses he gave them then as they drew near the city where they were going, which is Emmaus, he indicated that he's just going to go farther. In other words, see you later, guys. But they constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is towards getting towards evening. Well, that's why we know that this took place in the afternoon. And the day is far spent, and he went to stay with them. And it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread and he blessed blessed art thou O lord king of the universe that brings forth bread from the earth the typical Jewish prayer and then he blessed it and he gave it to him so the loaves would have looked like this he blesses it breaks it gives it to them now what do you suppose happened when the hands were opened what was exposed the nails in his hands and it says after that They sat, their eyes were opened, and they go, it's Jesus. And they knew him, and then he vanished from their sight. What does that mean, Dwight? It means he disappeared right in front of them. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And when he opened the scriptures to us, how many of us can say, isn't that true? when we get into the word of God and study it and it feeds us and it speaks to us that our hearts burn our our mind is challenged faith comes by hearing hearing comes by the word of God and we go through the sanctification process of becoming more like him it doesn't just naturally happen you have to be in Bible study good place for an amen it changes everything oh that's what it's all about that happened in the morning. Oh, this happened in the afternoon. And then their comments to one another, boy, that's why I, <laughs> I wanted to be in on this Bible study because having Jesus give that Bible study about himself and their co- only comment was, man, my heart was burning in a good way. It's a good heartburn, not a bad heartburn. <laughs> and uh, as he opened the scriptures to us, That's why we go back to the Old Testament, come back to the New, the whole story of Abraham and Isaac. I mean, it's a perfect picture of what happened. And then he prophesies, no, it's not gonna happen here, but it is gonna happen in the future when another person does it. All right, we've studied the morning. Um, We've studied the afternoon. Now let's study the evening and go to our text in John chapter 20. So between verses 18 and 19 we have the story of Cleopas on the road to Emmaus in the afternoon and then it says the same day at evening. Now one of the other gospels tells us that um, Cleopas and his friends actually were there. They ran all the way back to Jerusalem. It probably took about most of the afternoon, to get from Jerusalem to Emmaus. I bet you it took them about half an hour to get back. And they're mentioned as being in, in the room. So now it's evening, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, that's important, when the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, that Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said to them, Boo. (laughs) Just want to make sure you're listening. No, he just appeared. He just appeared. And he knows they're going to be freaked out. So he says, peace, be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord And they said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also am going to send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, repent, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. I want to stop here and um, comment on this particular What does the Lord mean that you have the power to forgive sins? When every one of us here knows the only one who can forgive sin is Jesus himself. Good place for an amen? But he's clearly saying here, I'm going to give you power to forgive people's sins. Well, how is that going to happen? We're putting in our bulletins every Sunday what's called the Roman Road of Salvation. And I'm asking people to take it out when they leave and take it home with them and give it to somebody. Because if you do and they read the Roman road to salvation, it tells a person how they can be saved. Do you know that most of the people in America today, if you ask them, when you die, are you gonna go to heaven? I think so. Well, what do you mean you think so? Well, you know, I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. And uh, they have this sort of idea that God judges on the curve. But this starts out by saying, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Well, that takes care of that argument. And so by presenting the gospel to a person and say, if you will read this and you will pray it and believe it with all your heart, your sins will be forgiven. That's what's being said here. You have the power and the authority to do that. But um, they'll be forgiven. But if they don't receive it, then their sins will um, remain. All right, I've read the road to to, um, salvation, but it looks to me like you're saying that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Yep, that's what we're saying. That's uh, narrow-minded, I don't believe that. He says, then I got some bad news for you. Um, your sins are not gonna be forgiven because when you explain the gospel to them, you have the authority to tell that person if you die in your sins, wants to die, and then what? Yeah. Then the judgment. That's what's gonna happen to you. And God has given each one of you here and every one of you that know Jesus Christ in a personal way, he says, as the Father has sent me, what did he tell his disciples? So I'm sending you. And what and how did he do it? Just by proclaiming the gospel, knowing it'll be bring division. Um, again, Jesus says, don't think that I've come to bring peace. I haven't. I've come to bring a division. Well, how does that happen? When you start telling people that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And it will cause division, I guarantee it. But that's what this verse means. Of course you don't have power to forgive sins. But Jesus does, and he's given us his word to lay out before people. Um, That's not the great suggestion. It is the great commission, right? Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Teaching them whatever I taught you. And that was... um, the the last thing that he ended up the Gospel of Mark with. So it tells us that he's explained in the next verse, but Thomas, in verse 24, called Didymus, uh, one of the 12 was not there with them, and uh, Jesus came. Uh, The other disciples, therefore, said to him when Thomas showed up, hey, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the prince of the nails, put my finger into the uh, print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe. I'm from Missouri. And unless I see it, I'm not going to believe it, period. All right, the thing is, the Lord was still in the room. He heard every word. They just didn't see him. Well, how do you know that, Dwight? Well, because eight days later, in verse 26... After eight days his disciples were again inside but Thomas was with them this time and Jesus came, the door being shut, stood in the midst of them and said the same thing, peace to you. And then he looks right at Thomas and he goes to Thomas and he said, Thomas, come here, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed, this is for you now. I've never seen Jesus. I sure look forward to seeing him, but I've never seen him. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, how do we believe? We believe by hearing and by accepting. And when we do, the Lord says, Thomas, they're more blessed than you are. You've seen it, and that's why you believe. They haven't. They've only heard the word preached, and they're more blessed because they believed the word that was preached. Uh, we're going to begin to close this up this morning by going to First Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and touch on two points. First of all, the facts of the resurrection. I'll get sidetracked talking about Peter just a little bit in verses one through eleven. And here we have the gospel in the first couple of verses. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, and which is where you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. And here's the gospel. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures there's a whole sidetrack we could have an Old Testament Bible study about this one verse right here. And that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures just like he told Cleopas and his friends. And that he had been seen by Cephas which is Peter then by the twelve. Let me just stop here. In other words, before he appeared that night on the way Cleopas but said his friends were going the Bible tells us here that Jesus had a one on one with Simon Peter we read about it right here he, he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve well what's that all about and the answer is we don't know this is what I do know I believe Peter checked out and he felt that he had simply just gone too far I swear all these other guys are going to flake out they're going to deny you Jesus said one of you guys here is going to deny me and everybody's saying is it me, is it me, is it me and um, it was Peter that blew a whistle (laughs) right on cue twice make sure you're listening and it was Peter that says look Lord all these guys are flakes they might flake out but remember, you called me Rocky. My name is Rocky. You name me Rocky. And I will die for you. And he said it three times. I will never deny you. Never, ever, ever. And he says, Peter, before this night's over, before the cock crows twice, you're deny you ever knew me. And Peter goes, no way. I will lay down my life for you so what happens? After the third denial, he not only denied it, he did it with vulgarity, cussing, and swearing. And when the cock crowed, Jesus looks at Peter. What kind of look do you think he gave him? Oh, boy, Peter, you really let me down. You said you weren't going to let me down. You let me down big time. you think that was the look? Is there anything that God doesn't know? Did not he say, one of you here is going to deny you ever knew me? Peter thought anybody else but him. And so it was not a look of condemnation that he gave to Peter. It was a look of compassion that says, Peter, I know all about you. Let me make, make that personal this morning. For anybody that thinks they've gone too far, and then because you've gone too far, that the Lord would never take you back, as far as you're concerned, that the Lord has done with you. And uh, maybe I'm, um, I'm here this morning just because it's Resurrection Sunday. Time to make my appearance or something like that. I want to tell you this. That look was a look of compassion. And what was said is not mentioned. It simply says that the Lord appeared to Peter and we don't know what was in that conversation. But it was a com- conversation of restoration. I can tell you that much. Because um, I'm glad it's not written. Because there's things that you do. There's things that I do. That it's between you and the Lord. That's a good place for an amen. I mean, there is a lot in here. In this one fact that the Lord sought Peter out and he had a one-on-one and then he appears to the rest of them in the upper room and so it says here in verse 4 and he was seen by Peter and then by the 12 and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remains to the present but some have fallen asleep after this he was seen by James then by the apostles Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, and I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I love this verse. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Does that sound familiar? I am what I am. Paul was saying, I know who I am. Romans 7, the things I don't want to do, I do do the things I shouldn't do that's what I do the things I, I want to do I don't do oh wretched man that I am that was his self evaluation of himself but grace wipes the slate clean and he gives you his righteousness so this is a great verse but by the grace of God I am what I am and I can come boldly and you can come boldly before him And by his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which is in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and you believed. That's the um, facts about Christ's resurrection. But there were actually some people there that didn't believe in the resurrection. So um, we'll close with these last Verses with the importance of what this day that we're commemorating is all about. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do, is it that there's some of you that say there is no resurrection of the dead? Uh, this was um, Jewish doctrine. Uh, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection and in angels The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection and in angels. And because I always like to say uh, this about the Sadducees, that is why the Sadducees are sad, you see. If you didn't get it, you'll get it later. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith also is in vain, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. What a scary thought they and also those who have fallen asleep or we'd say died they're perished if in this life only we have hope in christ then we are men most pitiable or miserable i mean if this is all it's about and this is we have no hope of the resurrection it goes on to say But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So I can tell you that if you die tomorrow and you're with the Lord, that to be absent from the body is to be present with him. You're resurrected. It goes on to the rest of this chapter if you'd like to read in verses 35 through 47 what kind of body you're gonna have. And everything's gonna be made new. But this produces and brings hope it's all about the resurrection and it's because uh, Jesus is the only one who can accomplish this Um, if you say there's no resurrection then you guys are all wasting your time this morning and so am I Um, but we believe in the resurrection and because we do we have this glorious hope of being with us I know I told you that was the last verse, but you know I never mean that. So we'll close with Acts chapter two. Let's talk about customs as we close things up this morning. This is Resurrection Sunday. What happened in the morning, what happened in the afternoon, and what happened in the evening. And that's why we're here this morning. But in Acts chapter two, the Bible says that Jesus had a custom what was his custom? His custom that he was in the synagogue every Sabbath. And he was always there. It was his custom. I want to challenge you this morning as we go out. Do you have that custom? I'll tell you the custom of Calvary Chapel as it's been passed down by Pastor Chuck is in Acts chapter 2. And I'm looking at verse 42. And I can't tell you how important this is, especially in the days that we live. And if this is not your custom, I wanna challenge you to make it your custom. I wanna challenge you to make it your priority. And it is simply this. Verse 42, we're talking about the early church and how they met. And they continued steadfastly, that means continually in the apostles' doctrine That's Bible study. In fellowship, that's what we do when we love on each other and go home and have fellowship with each other and dinner sixes and so on and so forth. Fellowship. In the breaking of bread, well, on Friday, we had communion. Why? So that we'll never, ever forget that Jesus Christ died on a cross, that his body was broken as the bread was broken, and his blood was spilt um, and it was spilt. The most priceless commodity in the entire universe is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that can wash away sin. And so he's asked us to do that. And in prayer. Prayer should be a part of your life. We are told to pray without ceasing. The high point of my week is meeting with these guys every Saturday morning, and right now we're in Ezekiel, and... and um, I know them better than anybody else in the church. I know what they're going through. I know what they want prayed about. And um, it's our custom. And then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And they had all things in common. And verse 46, they continued daily in one accord in the temple. In other words, they were always in fellowship with each other. My friends, it is late, okay? And here we are. Let's pretend it's New Year's, (laughs) one, and we're making a resolution. I'm asking some of you to make a resolution and make seeking first the kingdom of God your priority. I'm not saying that. Who's the one that said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you? not me, our Lord ourself. If you call yourself a Christian, or there's a lot of Christians that call themselves Christians that are not born again. I'm I'm talking with a friend of mine right now, and um, um, I'm pleading with him, he's born again, he loves the Lord, um, but the rest of his family is all Roman Catholic. And even though he doesn't believe any of it, he doesn't want to offend his family. So guess where he goes to church on Sunday morning? And I challenged him. I said, by doing so, don't you realize what you're doing? If they're not saved, is just family member saved? No. Are they born again? No. And I told him, well, what's going to happen to them when they die? And it There was a big silence at the end of that. I said, unless you take a stand, I said, I'm not asking you to come to Calvary Chapel, but I am asking you to go to a church that teaches the Bible, the whole Bible, and as Dave Hawking would say, and nothing but the Bible. And then he would say, can I get an amen? Amen. Come on, I want a Dave Hawking amen. Ah, it's better, Dave is probably watching. I hope he is. Hi, Jade, David. And that's what it's about. the the continuing in apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. And whenever I read that, you know what I tell myself? I can do that. I can do that. That's doable. But it's also a choice that you have. So here we are, Resurrection Sunday, 2022, with the end in sight. And Jesus said, when these things begin to happen, what, look up? Look up because your redemption draws nigh. And then he goes on to say, and do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And then he puts in parentheses, as the manner of some is. I don't need to go to church. Yes, you do. Yes, you need to be in fellowship and continue in fellowship one with another and even more so as you see the day approaching. I'll close with this question. You can, I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands. I am gonna ask you to take this home with you and read it carefully if you're unsure. That, um, yes, it's one of those senior moments. (laughs) The most important thing you'll ever do, the most important decision you'll ever make is am I doing what the Lord said when he said do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as you see the day approaching my question is this i remember do you see the day approaching then what does god's word tell us to do do it even more because it's important because this is really not about a war in russia or ukraine or the globalists even though that's all true you know what it's really all about spiritual forces at work The devil has come but to steal, to kill, and destroy. And the last place he wants you is hanging out with other Christians, studying the Bible, and praying. Good place for it, amen? Amen. It's all true. Please take it to heart. As Paul would say, I beseech you. How's that for an old word? To make that commitment. Go home and talk it through with your family members and say, this is important. We need to get back to our, our priorities and seeking first his kingdom, and everything else is in second place. Let's stand and we'll close the prayer. Lord, we thank you for the hope we would be, been most miserable if there was no resurrection. And Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, help our hearts burn as we study your word and the scriptures are opened up to us. And, um, Lord, if we've drifted away or blew it big time like Peter did, Lord, let that person or whoever that feels they've just gone too far, let them know, Lord, that as you sought out Peter for a one-on-one, so, Lord, you're seeking out people this morning, wanting a one-on-one with them for reconciliation, to be brought back into fellowship, knowing that you're holding nothing over them, And we thank you for this promise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.